Welcome to the Smith Sense Podcast with Matt Smith. I'm Anthony Bruno, and in each episode, Matt and I discuss ideas that at first blush might seem best suited for entrepreneurs, managers, and anyone navigating a business or a team. But really, they're ideas, lessons, strategies, philosophies, and so on that apply to anyone trying to navigate a successful life. This isn't hustle porn. We're not pimping a book or a consulting practice. We're just talking about ideas and topics that rise up in our everyday lives while trying to create something new. This week, we talk about something that I found particularly expiring, which was the idea of a business having a just cause. Now, a just cause goes way beyond the boring mission statements that litter corporate websites today, but rather it's a real thoughtful, meaningful statement about why a company does what it does. Our inspiration was the Simon Sinek book of the same name, but it takes a lot of different directions as well through the course of the conversation because we went through this process at our company ourselves uh, several months ago, and I got to say it's really served as a solid foundation for much of the upheaval that we've had to face as a company ever since. So um, I hope you enjoy it. With that, here's Matt. Today, I want to talk about an effort that we actually just completed here at Royalty Exchange. So we had our all hands the other day, and I was able to present this project that you and I had worked on that we basically defined as the Royalty Exchange Just Cause. And the Just Cause comes from a book, um, that mm-hmm. idea comes from a book that we both recently read, Simon Sinek's Infinite Game. The concept of an infinite game is very interesting. The basic idea is that there are two ways to sort of interact with the world, fundamentally two ways. One is if the world is of known size, where a pie is essentially fixed, and in order for you to get ahead, you have to acquire a larger share of that pie, which means you have to take more from other people. The alternative to that essentially is that we don't even know what's possible. And so rather than looking at the world and believing that the world is fixed, devote your energies into trying to create and to expand the pie so that everyone can win. And essentially, I think the fundamental difference between the two is that you don't behave in a, like a predatory way toward others. Like no one has to lose at all for you to get everything you want and more in your life. And I think in your business too. And this book, of course, was related more to the business parts. Right. And I want to keep on on that point just for a second, because there's a couple of things that since I've been here and working with you that I've heard that I always found was really interesting. And, you know, one of the things that we've always tried to focus on is that it's not a zero sum game, right? Someone doesn't have to lose in order for someone else to win. And I've seen a lot of the product and development and the innovation that we've done has always been with that in mind. So I find that really interesting. Yeah, one of the things <clears throat> where every time there's somebody who pops up as a potential competitor in our space, right. you know, there's certain people in the company that'll be like, oh no, look, there's <laughs> another person who's in here and they've got $600 million of capital. And I'm like, it's awesome. Like they could definitely be our customer. Part of the reason they exist even is because of the work we've been doing. They didn't even know that this opportunity existed, but they've been seeing what we've been doing. We've had an impact and they are actually jumping in to participate. And ultimately, it's good for everybody that they're here. But people see competition as a threat. And I think Peter Thiel has this um, thing where he says competition is for losers. If you look at the world in that way as uh, being competitive with others, then you're naturally setting yourself up for a losing game. Right. A finite game. Exactly. The finite game. And like, and that was the other thing that basically you once said, you know, in order to ask for value, you first have to provide value. I love that idea. And actually, it just reminds me of something I read the other day. So I've been kind of preaching this idea for a long time. And I'm not saying no one else has either, but I've been mm-hmm. preaching the idea that what you have to do is you want to actually, with your customers and in general in your life, you want to behave in such a way that people feel a sense of debt to you. Like they feel like they owe you. So a lot of times people are hesitant to give too much because they're worried that the other party is not going to reciprocate. That's a finite game thinking. But if you act as though there's more than enough, you give with the intention that you're going to overgive, you're going to outgive someone else, you're going to outgive your customer, essentially. You're going to give them more value than they're going to give you in return. 
then you're going to be successful in the world. That method works. Like, I want to die with everyone owing me. That's my goal. I mean, sincerely, that is one of my key goals in life. And I think that I heard for the first time a big company refer to their pricing approach this way. In Netflix's recent earnings call, an analyst was asking them what they had for their planned price increases. You know, because they've had a couple price increases in their life. There hasn't been one in a while. And I loved their response. I wish I could quote it exactly, but it was something like, we're playing it by ear. We're watching what our customers do and consuming. And if we have enough hits, if we deliver enough value, then we'll consider a price increase proportionate with essentially some of the value that we've created. But they always want it set up so that when they raise their prices, their customers go, oh, that's fine. I've been taking advantage of these guys for a long time. They've delivered way more value than they've asked for in return. And they don't begrudge the company for a price increase. You never hear that. I mean, you get a bunch of consultants in the, in the companies that basically are like, you know, they do a spreadsheet and go, no, we can make more money if we just charge $2 more for this. And that approach is a finite game. Mm-hmm. And it ultimately leads to destruction, I think. And this is like the longest setup ever before you just <laughs> cause. And I apologize. But I think that this is all worth, this is all contextual information that's really worth knowing about is that, you know, that since you mentioned the revenue part, one of the other things in the, particularly this book that really resonated with me was the idea that for an infinite game, your just cause is not to make money. Your just cause is not to just grow as a company. These are all things that people look towards as KPIs or, you know, short-term goals and things like that. But like the money you earn as a company is actually the fuel that allows you to continue progressing towards your just cause, for instance. And the growth is so that you've built a company that can more efficiently deliver against the just cause. They're means to an end. They're not the end themselves. That's right. Companies are supposed to make money. They have to make money. A measurement of whether or not they're actually delivering value to the world is whether or not they're making money. But if your goal is to make money, you're playing the wrong game. If you're actually playing a bigger game, playing the right game, playing an infinite game, following a just cause, then the natural consequence of that is with reasonable management, you will make plenty of money. So now we'll talk about exactly the just cause idea itself. So a just cause is basically a specific vision of a future state that does not exist. That's the definition. I'm reading literally from the book right now, right? It's to provide direction for what you do and to endure not just in the present, but for the lifetime beyond our own. And in order to do that, I'm going to read the standards that Simon Sinek outlines in his book. There's five things, and they're all very, very, they're individually relevant as well as relevant, I think, collectively, right? So a just cause must be first for something, right? It must be affirmative and optimistic. I mean, that he meant like, you know, it's not like the war against drugs or the war on cancer, but more like a world where all people can live their fullest lives cancer-free. You know what I mean? Like that's more the angle there. One of the things that I just, one of the companies I just thought of as you were talking about that is SpaceX and Elon Musk's view of that. Like he believes that it's critical for them to build the mechanisms cost-effectively to take humanity beyond Earth at least because the long-term existence of humanity is the goal. So like to make sure that humanity survives no matter what happens is his goal. That's a just cause. Right. So it has to be for something, right? Secondly, it needs to be inclusive, right? So open to all others who would like to contribute, which kind of speaks to your point about, yes, we're doing this and so are others, but you know, we don't need to be the only ones doing it. Competition isn't bad. It's great that there are a couple of billionaires that are working on the space stuff, you know, that you have Richard Branson doing it right. with Virgin Galactic, and then you've got Jeff Bezos doing it with Blue Origin. I mean, that's good for humanity. There's competition there. Third, it must be service-oriented, right? So our just causes for the primary benefit of others, not just for the company itself. It must be resilient, right? The ability to endure political, technological, and cultural change. That's really tough, right? As a company, we've built this thing to advance this vision, but that thing that we've created might become obsolete. That's the point where, okay, at one point, do we now change how we do it in order to continue doing why we do it? 
versus get stuck with the stubborn goal of making how we do it last. I think the perfect example is like photographic film to digital cameras or something like yeah, that. Or, right? like, or about Netflix. Or Netflix. Right, which started <laughs> yes, off. CDs. They, yes, sorry, CDs. DVDs. DVDs. DVDs by mail. Mm-hmm. And um, Hastings' plan was always, he says, you know, to be able to stream stuff over the web, but the technology just wasn't there yet. And so they built this incredible business where DVDs by mail, and it really put Blockbuster and all the other video chains out of business. And yet that business just is totally non-existent now. So basically, the vision of being able to deliver unlimited sources of entertainment, essentially, to people's homes, that vision goes beyond the format, the technology, right. that essentially, that existed at the time. Right. And we can kind of go like to the music industry. Like, Is the music industry's job to deliver music to fans, or is it to sell shiny plastic discs to fans? Exactly. And part of the problems that the music industry went through 10, 15 years ago was trying to hang on to that selling plastic discs versus delivering music. And when the format changed, they were a little slow to adapt. And it's not, I understand why. I'm not one of these people, oh, they were so dumb. Like, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, all that kind of stuff. Right. I don't want to get stuck into that. But it's another example of what we're talking about. What ultimately you're trying to do and how you're doing it might change. In fact, it absolutely will change. Exactly. And finally, and this is my favorite, right? It has to be idealistic, right? Big, bold, and here's my favorite, ultimately unachievable. And so I had to make this point when we were discussing this with the staff the other day. Ultimately, unachievable doesn't mean impossible. Like for SpaceX, for instance, and all the people like, once you go to Mars, are you done? Mars is the first step. It's a goal that never ends. And that's sort of key to being an infinite game. So let me just recap real quick. So the five components were for something, inclusive, service-oriented, resilient, and idealistic. Those are the elements of a just cause. Why do these things matter for business? Why is it critical for business to have defined these things in your mind after going through the exercise? There's a number of different reasons, right? So I, my job is communication and messages and whatnot. So trying to describe what we do and why we do it to people in a way that isn't just a tactical, transactional type of conversation is, I think, important. But I don't think that's the only reason, right? That's for me. That's my personal Anthony's job at the company. But I think that having the rest of the company on board with the same idea is more than just a PR you know, stunt or exercise. It's a strategic compass point, right? It's our true north to a certain degree. What products are we creating? Do these products or services or whatever you want to call it, are these things advancing that just cause or are they a distraction from it? I mean, we have the big decision-making to do. It's like, are we making decisions, again, just to protect the how we do it or are we making decisions to advance the why we do it? And that, to me, is the bigger necessity. That, that's really important. Yeah, I think the same thing. I boil it down into two parts. One is being able to effectively communicate our humanity. We have a business. The business has gotten bigger. And as it gets bigger, the human parts sort of get wrung out of it as you try and make things more efficient. And yet are still our fundamental decisions, why we choose to handle a certain problem we run into in one way versus another, the moral compass really that we might use, is still based upon some ideas that we have as people about what is right and wrong, you know, about how to be fair dealers in the world that we work in, how to create value for all participants, how to maintain moral authority, those kinds of things. The just cause effectively communicates that to current employees, future employees, and customers on all sides of the spectrum, exactly what really matters to us, you know, what we really stand for at the end of the day. Well, that's an excellent point. Because I mean, for us in particular, because we we exist in a really weird, not weird, but in a very delicate place within the industry that we operate in, right? We're at that intersection of like art and commerce. And in the music business, there's always been a very controversial place to be, right? You know, how do you place a value on a song? Well, I mean, it's impossible to place a value on a song. You know, a song that's valuable to me because it was the first dance at my wedding or it got me through a tough time means absolutely nothing to you. So we're not talking about putting the value on a song. We're talking about the assets that are created out of the commercial expression of these songs and how to utilize those so that you can create more songs that are special to more people in the future. So I'm skipping over because I don't want to make this about us. But the point is, 
we have to be very clear about what we're doing and why in a way that doesn't make us look like just some sort of carpetbaggers trying or to- Or finance bros coming in here <laughs> right. trying to make some money on you, or we're just suits on one side of the spectrum, either music executives or Wall Street right. people. You know, What we're trying to do is we believe in ideas. We think they matter. We also believe in markets. Right. And we want to bring those two things together and see cool things happen with it. So that's kind of how that expression is presented to an external audience, right? right. What about that internal audience? You made a good point earlier. We say we're a growing company. Right? When there was just six of us sitting around the table in the other office, this was a lot easier to do. Now we're, what, triple that, I think, yeah, if not more. more. So you've got all these people. How do you keep them marching in the same direction and with the same purpose in mind? That's another reason why we did this. Well, I think the Just Cause definitely helps with that in terms of helping people identify what our priorities are in terms of product development. And everything that you do, you're making trade-off-like decisions because you mm -hmm. can't do everything. So if you're going to do something, it means you're not doing something else. And the thing that you're not doing is affected in a great deal by the priorities, essentially, that are set. And the just cause makes it more clear. You can't essentially design, especially if you're in an innovative space where you're creating something that didn't exist before, which we are. Fortunately, we get the opportunity to do that. You can't actually write down, okay, here's the policies. In this situation, do A. In this situation, do B. Because we have no idea what situation we're going to encounter next week or a month from now or a year from now. So we have to instead have like a heuristics. We have to have more concepts, more philosophical rather than tactical, essentially, about mm -hmm. how to approach certain problems. The fact that we believe in the power of markets, that we believe that if they're able to actually function themselves effectively, then it produces great outcomes for all participants involved. It produces the maximal outcome for all participants involved. And so for that to be possible, you have to have transparency. Transparency provides the information that people need to be able to transact with one another properly. So that means that we have to do everything we do in the public. It has to be seen. And sometimes it creates problems for us to do everything in the public. There's one thing recently where we're testing placing orders in the marketplace for things that are not otherwise eligible for the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And we're testing with our own capital and we're doing it in the public eye. So people right. can see it. They're wondering, like, why are you doing this? Like, what happened with this? Did I not get that deal that I should have gotten? Yeah, you know, how come yeah. you got that deal? I would have liked that. But, but in fact, they would never have seen that deal because it was below the eligibility that we had set for them to see it. Exactly. And doing it in public causes us more grief. Some of the people in the company are like, well, maybe we should just hide those. And I'm like, no, we can't. So we can't do that because I would rather explain to people what we're doing is so they can see it and build a pattern of, no, we always do it in public. It's always in public, everything right. we do, because it's so easy for us as a company and to go, well, it's just easier if we don't tell the people about these things. As a group who's responsible for making sure that there's great transparency in the market, for us to ever cross that line, it's like a mortal sin. It always has to be in public. Exactly. And I think that sometimes you have hard questions, but those hard questions are the opportunity for the more impactful answers, right? It's a learning opportunity in that particular respect. So yes, you know, you have to kind of balance how much information do you present that might cause confusion versus how much of the information do you present that is actually helpful. And I think that's where that, should we hide it? It wasn't like we were trying to hide anything. It was just more like, are we trying to simplify things for people versus make it more complicated for them? And so what you're trying to say is that by having this just cause, by having this vision sort of set and everyone kind of looking at that same goal, it allows them to think more strategically on those little day-to-day -day tactical decisions that need to be made. We know it has to be transparent because that's what we do how do we need to explain it to people in advance so that they're not confused by it? Right. Or how do we need to label it? Or how do we need to alter the UI so it's not confusing to people right. and creating a false impression, but it's not going to be hidden. It's going to be public. As you grow and you have lots of people who have to make different decisions, having that kind of compass about what really matters to us and why keeps you from getting yourself twisted up essentially in the decisions you make. We've basically gone over two reasons for exploring a just cause. One is explaining what we do externally, not just for general perception issues, but for understanding and clarity and things like that. Two is internally to set what I will call strategic direction 
to guide activity and decisions and things like that. A third, just having yeah. people want to work here. When we had a brief discussion about this the other day relating to the idea that everybody wants to have meaning in their work. All the millennial surveys, for instance, show that one of the top priorities for them is to do work that they can find meaningful. You would think off the bat, well, that probably applies to everybody, but it actually doesn't. For Generation X, it's, well, just do our work so that we can then outside of work go do things that are meaningful to us. Meaningful work is critically important. The question is, what the hell does meaningful work mean? When a meaningful work is not obvious, they look at like career trajectory, what the growth path is in your career. Mm -hmm. So it kind of gets substituted for meaning a lot of times. And I think people can satiate themselves with those ideas for a while. But the problem is, it's just an awful idea that in order for you to feel meaning in your work means you have to become some kind of a middle manager ultimately. If you don't know, people substitute that because, you know, people, a lot of people, a lot of Well, so you've been told a typical advancement of your career means you start off taking orders from someone else and you end up giving orders to other people. That seems to be a, an upward rising yeah. trajectory. You can have more impact in that role, theoretically. Right. You have more authority and power, which is, you know, not to say that's what people are drawn to, but like, I think a lot of times it is. But millennials also, there, you know, there's a strong interest in being part of nonprofits, mm -hmm. you know, they really are trying to find more work that's meaningful. So the challenge you have as an employer, I think, is understanding back to this empathy thing. Yes. Understanding the fact that millennials have this real need to make meaningful work a top priority. And if you can't explain to them the, how their work is meaningful in a way that is sort of portable for them, a way that they can communicate to others easily, you're putting them at a big disadvantage to be successful in the workplace because all the people in their lives that love them are going to be, you know, call them and be like, so what are you doing? They're going to explain what their job is. And if they can't explain it succinctly enough that the friend or parent on the other end of the phone goes, oh, that's cool. Oh, that's great. I'm really proud of you. If you can't give them something that they can say in that way, then that person is going to feel like they're not in the right place. They're, you're not giving them essentially the cover to get in and do the work and find meaning in the work themselves. Really, I think meaning and passion and all that are under, like, you have to unearth it. You have to, yeah. get, you have to do work. You have to dig holes and you'll find the meaning and passion under all that. But if you don't give that kind of portable message essentially to your millennial workforce, you're not giving them any cover for all the people that love them, that are really interested in them being successful, that no meaningful work matters to them, not giving them some way that they can help share with those people that the work is meaningful. And you know what? I was just writing this down as you were talking. These three areas that we just discussed, right? The external perception and explanation, the internal strategic decision, and also the internal, I guess, meaning to put these in the bullet points, they feed each other. This is a they feedback do. loop, right? If you could, and it kind of starts with the last thing that we ended with. It was like, once the people that work here not only feel as if they're doing work that matters, that has a real meaning to the world, when they truly believe it and feel that, they're going to both make those decisions more organically and make yep. your job a hell of a lot easier from having to like make corrections and every little thing yep. all the way. And even if they're not directly working with external customers, it all has an effect on their work as well. So it's like these things all relate to each other. They're not independent goals. I totally agree. And it's going back to that humanity word again. Yeah. And we, we had a conversation before this podcast about empathy. I think that it gets lost in the machine of a business so mm -hmm. easily. And the idea of a just cause and why I think it's a good idea for you to go through the effort to try and formalize it and communicate it broadly within your company and then externally is that it kind of infuses that humanity into all the decisions that are made. You're kind of like planting a flag and saying, this is what we really stand for. And this is what is really important to us. And then you have to live up to it. Maybe we could just maybe end with that a little bit, because I thought that was interesting. The other day, we presented the just cause to the company on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, you and I had a regular one-on-one -on -one, and we kind of looked at each other and said, okay, now what do we do with it? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> By the way, though, when you presented it, you got applause. You legitimately got applause, which has never happened in one of our town hall meetings. Uh, Not yeah. once. 
Exactly. Like I said, and I, as I mentioned to you, I still that that Italian grandma kind of going, well, you know, the food was okay, but it could use a little more salt. You know what I mean? So I'm I'm always wondering whether that was polite applause or, or legitimate applause, but that's just my own whatever. I think it was legit. But anyway, okay. I think in any case, I found it a useful exercise. I'm a total believer in the concept of infinite game. Mm-hmm. And there's actually a book by, I think it's James Krauss called Finite and Infinite Games. Right. It's that book essentially that Simon Sinek was his inspiration for writing this one. Right. He even said that in one of his TED Talks, whatnot. And this was a more of a direct articulation of it in a more specific way. Business context rather than the philosophical other one, I'd say. But either way, they're great books. And I definitely encourage if you're, especially if you are in a leadership role within a company, pick up these books and read them. And if you want to know how to better operate in a world, thinking about the finite and infinite game concept is really, really important. And I'm looking forward to exploring the best way of applying this now externally, not just within our website messaging and things like that, but like just even internally as we share news with the, the staff and kind of connecting the dots for them. Hey, this is an example of this. This is an example of that. Like right now it's for us, it's more of an attritional, I don't think attritional is a word. It's more of an attrition based uh, sort of exercise where we're just going to make sure that we're reminding ourselves every day of this thing outside of just some slogan on a wall, right. but really put it into action. I think that's really important too. I think so, so too. All right. Well, that's been a fun process and I look forward to maybe we'll have another podcast about how this actually uh, lands uh, in a year from now or something like that to see if it really works. So we should. Good stuff. All right. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks. You've been listening to the Smith Sense Podcast. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to read more about Matt's thoughts on this topic and others, please visit his blog at smithsense.com where you can also read the show notes, leave questions and join the discussion. If you like what you've been hearing, please give us a rating on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And sharing it with friends would go a long way. A quick thank you to Russ Rizzo for the show notes, to our engineer Jason Sanderson, and to the wonderful Zoe Keating for the use of her beautiful music. I'm Anthony Bruno, and we've been sharing time with Matt Smith. Have a good week.